This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 62. Today, our very special guest is Rennick Brutus. Rennick is an entrepreneur, writer, motivational speaker, and consultant. We have a lively conversation with Rennick about leadership, systemic racism, and what we can do to achieve justice and equality. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Well, hello, everyone. It's Michelle. And Tracy. Here we are again for another fabulous episode. Absolutely. Today, we interviewed Rennick Brutus, who is a wonderful man that we had the privilege of meeting a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's definitely a kindred spirit, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are so excited to have him on our podcast today and just to learn more about his work and and his purpose. You're going to hear about his purpose and you will just leave inspired. Yeah, he's such a genuine soul, you know, and he just um, just has a presence about him. Like, even when you're with him virtually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just has this calm, wise manner to him. And he just sees, he just has such a positive outlook on things. And he um, really sees the power of what's possible, not just for all of us, but for every individual, right, that he connects with. It's just it's really powerful and inspiring. So, yeah, he's a very wise man. And Tracy, I just left the interview thinking the world needs more people like Renick Brutus. That is for sure. That is for sure. And I can't wait to continue to learn more from him and spend more time with him when that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me uh, introduce Renick. Rennick is the founder of Achievement Resources, Prism Wealth Management, and Universal Decontamination Services. Like, this guy does a lot. He (laughs) does. His uh, approach to life and business is captured in his statement. Too many of us are programmed to follow paths that are not congruent with our natural interests and strengths. We are not aware of the wide, open spaces around us in which we can express who we are. All of us deserve to find our rightful place to live joyfully and to excel. His interest in entrepreneurship stem from his life experiences and decision to ask questions so that he might discover principles and models that provide high probabilities for success in business and in life. All of his business pursuits are focused on helping others improve their condition. When Reddick is not at play for pay with his business interests, He is conducting speaking engagements or engaged on the boards of nonprofit organizations that improve arts and culture, education, entrepreneurship, social and economic development outcomes. He currently serves on the boards of directors of St. Cecilia Music Society, the Grand Rapids Rotary Club, and Heart of West Michigan United Way. He is also involved in sustainability initiatives through the Grand Rapids Community Foundation. This is an incredible interview, so stay tuned. And without further ado, here's Rennick. Well, welcome, Rennick. We are so excited to have you a guest on our podcast today. And as you know, Tracy and I like to start with some fun banter. And 
you know, we just have always enjoyed all of our fun moments with you since the first time we met you. You're just a fun guy. <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners and us something that you like to do for fun? Yeah, and it, it tends to surprise a, a lot of people. But one of my most favorite things to do for fun is spend time with my daughter. Um, and these days it's been quite a bit on the phone and through different video platforms. But we laugh a lot. We, we find all kinds of interesting ways to just poke at each other and, you know, just, just laugh a lot. And um, we, we reminisce, we dream, but we also find ways to celebrate. Now, mind you, she is, she is 33. She just turned 33. She's in New York City and holed up in her apartment um, with what I um, describe as a long honeymoon. She just got married in October. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, tease her, I tease her about that all the time. She got married in October, and of course, um, they had a little getaway, but um, of course, COVID came, and they've just been holed up, and it's a honeymoon to end all honeymoons. Yeah. So that's, a favorite, that's a favorite thing for, uh, of mine to do. Another thing I like to do is travel. Mm. Uh, you know, I've, I've traveled extensively through all parts of Europe, you know, Prague, Czech Republic being one of my favorite places, you mm. know, different parts of Italy. Budapest, Hungary, Munich, Germany. But recently, because I haven't been able to travel physically, I've been traveling in my mind. And with the help of YouTube and the streaming services today, you know, I've been able to travel to places like the Greek islands of Santorini and Mykonos and uh, the national parks within the United States, like Arches and Rocky Mountain and you know, a number of those types of places. So I, I haven't let the, um, the COVID confine me. I've found creative ways to still travel. But enjoy, I enjoy it immensely. Wow. wow that's, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. I, um, I love Santorini, Greece, like one of my favorite places. It's just so beautiful there. Nice. And the parks are on my list, so I'm going to have to take take advice from you and start just doing that virtually. Right. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Right. It just feeds that anticipation. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, Brenna, can you um, share with our listeners a, a little bit about your background and where you're from and how you ended up in West Michigan? Yeah, it's, I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Something drew you there. <laughs> well, I'm from I'm from Guyana, South America. Um, it's precisely, as per Google, three thousand ten miles away from mm. Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I immigrated to New York City in 1985, and actually that was 35 years ago. I spent nine and a half years in, in the New York, New Jersey area, working with some Wall Street firms um, in the investment and securities business. And, and then in 1993, I met this wonderful young lady who hailed from West Michigan. And uh, we started dating long distance. And um, it was so enjoyable that I decided within months to relocate. Uh, to West Michigan, and and so I came out here in 1994. Um, continued in the investment and wealth management business, and then in 1999, I added the performance improvement element uh, to my service offerings. And so Grand Rapids, West Michigan, has been home now um, since 1994, a good 26 years. Wow. Yeah, that's great. We love Grand Rapids, Michigan, so we're what glad you, you're there. Yeah, and what do you love most about it? Oh, I, I love that it's not congested. I love that I could, and don't tell anybody, um, leave my car doors open. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm 20 or, or 30 minutes from... 
grand expanses of water, you know, lakes and, and then the forest for hiking. And there's um, parking is, is really affordable. I know people out here complain about it, but relative to New York, it's a deal. Uh, if you're unfortunate enough to, to get a parking ticket, it's, it's at a low price that you could decide you could have one of those every day and still not pay as much as you would for one ticket um, in, in New York. And to put it in perspective, when, when I moved out here, um, I, when I got tickets in New York for parking violations, they were generally $140, $150 a piece. And that's back in 1993, right? When I got my first ticket out here, not that I've gotten many, (laughs) 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 but when I got my first, it was $5 in Kalamazoo. I remember thinking, wow, I could take one of these every day and still not hurt as much as in New York. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. But yeah, the people the people are nice. It's a lower, slower, healthier pace with lots of opportunity for outdoor recreation, and so my stress level is a lot lower in Grand Rapids than it was in New York, and certainly while I worked on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite different. <laughs> <laughs> in a great way, right? In a great way. But you are yeah, yeah. so accomplished, Renick. Like you're an entrepreneur, you're a motivational speaker, you know, you are a writer, you are um a consultant, you know. I mean, you are very accomplished and quite an extraordinary leader. Can you share just with our listeners like two or three major focus areas for that great body of work that you do? Yes, and thank you. You're, you're very kind. Um, I, I like to think of it in, in terms of, of the following, in terms of the answer to this question that a mentor of mine would often ask. He asked it of me, but he'd also ask it of our clients. And it is this question. What right do you have to deny anybody the opportunity to benefit from who you are, what you know, and what you do? And I, would, I remember replying after thinking about it, Bill, I have no right to deny anybody, any of it. I think I have a responsibility to share all of who I am, all of what I know, and all of what I do. And, and so that has framed and, and certainly informed my approach to living and certainly my approach to work. And, and the focus areas to be succinct are, number one, helping individuals and teams identify and use more of their potential to increase performance and results. The second focus area is guiding individuals to be irresistible Mm. to their bosses, to their customers, and to the marketplace at large. I think that's a pivotal prerequisite for getting more of what any of us wants. And then the third area continues to be providing investment and wealth management guidance to help those people I describe as the freedom seekers. And, and it's to help them become and be on a path to becoming financially invincible. And that's why we like hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all three of those things, right? They fit with us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I love what you say, too, about the question, right? What right do you have? And this is something that Michelle and I have been thinking about in our work as well, right? And Somebody said to us, so it's kind of like, you know, you're sitting uh, on the beach, looking out at the water, and you see people out there drowning, struggling, right? Are you just going to sit there on the beach and watch them when you know that you could help them, when you know that you could 
not only help them, right, but help them thrive, not just survive, right, whatever catastrophe they're experiencing in the water. So I really like that question. That's awesome. Right. Thank you. And I certainly embrace your philosophy. It's, yeah, none of it is is ours um, to, to hoard. It is really ours to shear. And, and we really can and, and should position ourselves to be conduits of whatever comes our way, whatever information or insights, ideas, um, tools. So we can simply pass them on to those who could benefit from them. Why not help somebody um, accelerate their success or, or why not help relieve the burden someone might, might be bearing? Right. Well, and I think um, it's also our moral responsibility, right? Yes. To bring who we are and what we've learned and pass it on. So totally relate to that, Renick. Yeah. yeah. You're right, Michelle. It, it yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. We've been passing ships. We just here for a little bit. What are we going to do while we're here? Yeah. Well, and that leads us into our next question uh, because we're all passing ships during uh, – incredible times in humanity, right? So Mm -hmm. since the last time we were together, um, we have been engaged in a world pandemic with COVID, as you mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, Um, and also the murder of George Floyd, uh, which really impacted Tracy and I greatly. Um, Just It just raised the awareness again of the systemic racism that continues in our country and uh, just seeing the world's response to it as well. So we just wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, as a black man, and we know that you're an expert at being a black man. <laughs> <laughs> as you've informed us. <laughs> as you've informed us. <laughs> we just wanted to ask you a few questions uh, for us and our listeners as well, because I think your perspective is really, really important. And the first being just, you know, what was your reaction or reflections on just the world's response to one man's death, um, you know, several months ago now? But just what did you think about the global response to George Floyd's death? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I've, I've had so many um, thoughts on it. You know, of course, I, w- I would hasten to say that as someone who's lived for many decades clothed in, in black skin. I know quite a bit about that subject. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> and, and, and I'm reminded of the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. And in the case of the visual imagery of the George Floyd killing, I would say a picture is worth 10 million words. Because so many millions of people around the world were at home, freed from the stresses of work, and able to witness the inhumane treatment of George Floyd. You know, Ameri- because of that, American the work could truly appreciate the magnitude of the negative attitudes and treatment that have persisted toward black people. And for many, the idea that racism still exists is a myth. For many people, for a black person like myself to describe their encounters with racism is for that black person to be perceived as whining and complaining. The fact is, it's usually virtually impossible to prove racism. It's impossible to prove prejudice or bias. So the vast majority of people like myself don't talk about it. Otherwise, it becomes a distraction and it robs us of productive energy. What's encouraging on account of these developments with the world having witnessed as blatant a display as one could imagine of of such racism um, is that the matter of 
systemic racism has risen to the forefront of people's consciousness um, to such an extent that, that many leaders from all walks of life are now resolving to not just coexist and thrive personally while remaining in the midst of this immoral and cancerous system of racism. Um, instead, um, they're, they're taking more proactive steps to influence positive change, um, to end it. Um, that is good um, for both moral leaders. You, you talked about this earlier. Um, the, the, the morality that we can all bring to our everyday conduct. Um, so, so it's good for, for, for moral leaders, but it's also good for the people who are the perpetual victims of, of racism. In fact, um, it, it seems to me that leaders from all walks of life are being challenged by stakeholders. Whether, whether those be investors, institutional investment companies, employees, customers, or even communities, um, to evidence their actions um, that, that demonstrate unambiguously their commitment um, to, to governance um, over these matters. So, so yeah, my, my thought is it's, the, the George Floyd issue, the visual imagery, the, it, it's, it's been traumatic and, and it's now um, cemented in the minds of millions across the globe that no longer is it something that people simply hear about. It's something that people see. And, and now the world the world's eyes are on each and every one of us um, to see how we respond, what we do, and what we don't do. Um, so that that pattern of conduct is minimized or, or hopefully eventually eliminated. Yeah. That was so well articulated. Thank you so much, Renick. Um, and I know Tracy and I, we were, um, we just were really blown away by the response and, and have taken it very personally ourselves. You know, what is our accountability? And you're right, the eyes are on all of us now. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that we've been doing is just learning and um, listening to podcasts about the topic, um, mm -hmm. reading books, staying current on what's happening mm -hmm. and certainly have probably heard more stories of people's experience with racism in the last few months than we have probably in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you stated very well how you don't put a lot of attention on it because you're just trying to be right who you are in your own skin. Mm -hmm. But can you share maybe one example of a time where you did experience, um, you know, overt racism and what it was, or maybe even subtle, but what uh, maybe one story to our listeners? Yeah, um, just one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess fine to share more. You certainly can. I, I guess one is sufficient. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the one from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, actually, actually, the one that comes to mind illustrates the insidiousness with which racism occurs in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. You know, this incident that, that comes to mind is one that goes back a few years um, to when I worked as a financial advisor within a regional financial services firm. You know, on Thursday afternoons, this colleague of mine and I would Routinely, routinely meet for a cocktail or sometimes a few. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was always enjoyable. Well, one afternoon, this friend shared that there was an opening for a manager's position and that he was applying. And, it, and he went on to suggest that he had a better chance at being selected than me. Um, just in the event 
I was interested in applying for that position, which I wasn't because, you know, I'd, I'd come out here on a five-year plan in 1994, and I knew that in 1999, I would step out and launch my own enterprise. So I, I was not interested in a management position for, for a lot of different reasons that are embodied in my work. But um, anyway, he, he just thought he would share with me that he um, was a more likely um, candidate for that position. And so um, I asked him, why did he think he had a better chance? To which he said, you know why. And I said, no, I don't know why. Can, can, can you explain? He explained it this way. He said, Rennick, the guys in the various departments will not accept leadership from you. He said, as experienced as you are, even though you're a top producer in this organization, even though you're credentialed, um, they will not accept leadership from a black person. And it has nothing to do with your expertise or your experience. And I said, oh, <laughs> really? Because in that moment, I recognized that he had his opinion and that's all it was, an opinion. It wasn't a, it wasn't, wasn't a statement of fact. I, I had proved over the years leading up to that point in time, many opinions to be invalid and not, and without merit. And this was just another one. So his opinion really didn't matter. But he went on. He went on to say, let me give you an example of what I mean. He said, last week, customer, you mentioned the customer's name, came over to meet me in my office. He said, do you recall meeting with him? I said, yes. I do. We met in my office. We, we sat down, we reviewed his goals, his risk tolerance, his portfolio, and I designed, I, I designed an investment proposal for him. And he said to me, that's right. He came over to my office after you met with him, and he told me, it's obvious that you, Renick, knew what you were talking about, that he liked your recommendations, but there's no way he would do business with you because you're black. My friend executed my proposal without changes to it and generated the fee income from that relationship. I, I, must, I must tell you, I, I felt betrayed and upset um, for several weeks because my friend didn't speak up for me. He didn't speak out against this man's racist choice. But then I recovered. I got over it. I, I came to acknowledge the pervasiveness of that type of thinking. And, and so I resolved that I would continue to make the choice to be better, not bitter. Again, just another moment in my life's journey where that has been a healthy decision for me. To be better, not bitter. And, and so far, it's worked pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> You're amazing. Oh. Really you are amazing, man. You know, there's a couple things that you just shared in that story that I just, I just want to comment on. And because um, you started out with, right, how insidious this is and how it happens in your life every day. And I just have to say, right, that as a white woman, mostly surrounded by white people, I would not have a clue that that happens to you every single day. 
all the time. And I think that's one of the things that for me has been so profound about everything that's happened since George Floyd. I really didn't realize this was still happening, right? In my mind, we had moved on and I'm not the only one I know now, right? Like a lot of people that just aren't exposed to that or don't feel that way themselves, don't realize how baked into our society this is, how systemic it is. And I just, I just wanted to comment on that. And I thought the other thing too is I love how you recognized that his statements really didn't matter. That, that, you know, we attach meaning to a lot of things that's just our interpretation, right? And it is not necessarily always fact and true. And, and then thirdly, your choice to be better and not bitter, which I'm a proponent of that, right? Like take the, just create your own reality with your own thinking, right? And the power of that thought. But I am also becoming so incredibly aware how unfair that is. How incredibly unfair that you have to do that every single day to overcome what's happening in this country and has been happening for a long time. And I just want to apologize for that because that's just so wrong that you have to do that. To choose to do that's one thing, but to really have to do that, to live in this country is just, it's wrong. And it, and it will change. And it, it helps to, for all of us. And, and, and you, as, as a woman, you, you deal with your struggles. You know, I, I alluded to my daughter at the outset of this discussion. I remember when she was six years of age, driving in the car, asking her as we, her mom and I facilitated discovery of her dreams as a foundation for helping her look forward with positive expectancy to the adventure of learning. And I remember the day that she said she wanted to be a, a nurse. And, and we both said, great, honey, that's wonderful. Why? What is it about nursing that you love? And, and she said, well, it's the opportunity to help people, help a lot of people. I want to help sick people and, and so forth. And so we continued to talk about it and celebrated and affirmed her for that. And, and she had what a phenomenal career. Um, nursing could be, but with the right attitude and, and training and, and, and so forth, that commitment to taking care of people. And I'd went, gone on to share how, you know, her, my, my sister, her aunt was, was a nurse, ICU nurse, and she still is, and has built a tremendous and very gratifying career as a nurse. And then in a moment, and I, I don't know why I asked her, I said, I'm curious, honey, um, is there a reason you, you, you said nurse and not a doctor? And she said, um, well, not too many girls are doctors. And I was just flabbergasted because, of course, it's, it's, it doesn't matter if she's a nurse or if she's a doctor. I was just curious as to what her thinking was. But when she shared with me that, in her, from her vantage point, not many girls were doctors. I was stunned because I had to wonder, how does a six-year-old formulate that impression? And we know the answer is the images, however subtle they are, that are beamed to us on the radio and books, on television. Now, it's a whole lot better today. But my point in all of this is to say, as a woman, you deal with it. You you, you sit at a table where you, you share great ideas that are ignored only to, for them to be embraced five minutes later because they came from the mouth of a guy and, and many of whom have made a habit of plagiarizing the, the ideas of, of women and, and others because it's, it's interesting you, you too have worked hard to refine your thinking and your, and your conduct b because you don't want to be left behind. 
And there's something that happens when that is a part of your journey. You become better. And there comes a moment when it's undeniable. There, there comes a point when one who seeks the best contributions in times of crisis, in times when the stakes are high, they have no recourse but to choose those who can do the job. In those moments and over those periods of time, it doesn't matter who their friend is. All that matters is getting the job done. And, that's, and, and it's in those periods that you, as women, mm-hmm. excel. Just like individuals like me excel. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. I just want to say, been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) Experience that. (laughs) Thanks for acknowledging that. Yes. (laughs) Well, is this just not a figment of my imagination? (laughs) No. 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Well, I think you've probably already shared a great deal of this, what I'm going to ask you next, but just just to put it on the record. <laughs> what really helps you lead, right, through all this adversity and be resilient in this world where we have this systemic racism so prevalent? I would say it's it's a recognition that I'm – I must be a host of good. Some may say be a host of God. Um, But I, I must be a host of God. I must be a host of good and not allow myself to be held hostage by my ego. I, 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 I try to remind myself on a regular basis by reflecting on, on, on that idea and, and what, what it truly means to put aside the ego and to be available. Um, I think something that also is helpful to me is, is to understand that there are many people who are opposed to racism and are doing doing their part to systematically crush it. So I'm not alone. And there are lots of people who are working quietly, quite often without anyone knowing to make make changes to to stamp out racism and, and every other form of injustice. Um, and then there's also what I consider an acute awareness that my role is to do whatever I can to ensure that every person with whom I interact will benefit from a question that I ask, from an idea I share, maybe a story I tell, um, someone to whom I introduce them, or maybe a book or an article or a website I mention. I'm just, just recognizing that. And, and then also that maybe I'll engage in, in some simple act or gesture that encourages or inspires. Um, just moves them just further along for just a while longer, maybe, to refine their thinking change their behavior and and ultimately improve their life. And however long or brief that is, then it would have been sufficient and within the framework of a life well lived. Hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for us um, as white women and for our listeners out there um, 
you know, who really want to learn and want to understand and want to make a difference and really want to stamp out uh, these injustices and systemic racism. What comes to your mind? What kind of advice do you have for us? Yeah, Tracy, what, what I have are more reflections than advice. You know, I have questions, I have thoughts, and you know, I can, I can certainly share some of them. Um, first of all, I, I hold a sentiment that there should be efforts directed at not just racial injustice and, and matters of inequality, but toward justice and equality for all people. Of course, women included, but, but, but every group that seems in the mind of each of us to be other, to be different. Um, we, we ought to afford them the same fairness and equity that we give to nutritious, colorful, distinctly different vegetables on our plate. So I, I strive to and I encourage others around me to make a habit of revisiting our values and, and consider where do such values as fairness and freedom and integrity and courage fit on our list of values. And again, I encourage myself and, and others to have empathy and to ask continually, what would I want for myself and the people I love? If that person, any person, or me or my loved one, what would I want someone nearby to say or do? And again, ask, um, would I want that person to come to my defense? Would I want that person to speak up and put an end to any form of inappropriate or unfair conversation or decisions? I, I think it's, it's that age old question. Um, how would you want to be treated? How mm -hmm. does that person want to be treated? And it's, it's back to our ethics and our morals and our integrity and character and, uh, and that refinement to be the best we can be. I think once we, once we take time to understand ourselves, the answers emerge. Yeah. All things go back to the golden rule, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's so simple. Mm -hmm. And yet so challenging for to live it, mm -hmm. right? So appreciate you bringing that forward. Yeah, it's yeah. my pleasure, always. Yeah. Well, you know, you're such an awesome leader, Rennick. And, you know, the other thing that we've really been reflecting on is just the need for strong leadership during times like these at all levels, family, workplaces, country, global and um, what's been some of your personal reflections um, on leadership right now and the significance of leadership? Yeah. You know, there, there was a time when one tactic for leadership involved keeping subjects <laughs> uninformed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they were employees or customers or worshipers in the general population. And, 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 and to provide very limited access to those constituents to information. And, and to keep them unaware of alternative choices and possibilities. That, that was in an, an age quite different from the age in which we live, which is, some would say, the information age where the general population has access to information about who they can become. 
what they're able to do and with whom they can choose to do it. And there, there are fewer barriers to personal and professional development. There are fewer limits to achieving career excellence or, of, or to experiencing high levels of fulfillment. People can go where they choose with much greater ease than ever before. And, and so I believe leaders today absolutely must create and maintain environments and cultures where the people they lead can make visible, measurable progress toward becoming all that they're capable of becoming, all that they're capable of doing, experiencing, and having. Leaders have to facilitate people becoming the best they can be, achieving the most. And, and what is interesting, as, as much as has ever been the case, is that leaders are being evaluated today based on what they say and do, but just as much on what they don't say and what they don't do. And, and so gone are the days, I believe, when leaders can hide in silence and not speak up or not act and not, not display progress or the lack thereof. They, they have to bring a, a sincere visibility to their motives and the results they generate through their leadership efforts. So transparency becomes of the utmost importance. Yeah, they're being watched. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. They're always being watched. <laughs> and it's not, it's, you know, kind of back to, you know, our parents used to tell us, do what I say, not what I do, right? <laughs> <laughs> But it is about what you do, and they watch you, right? And Mm -hmm. if you're not doing it, they're certainly not going to do it. Right. And you can't guide them to do something you don't know how to do yourself, right? And that's kind of been our, kind of what we stand for with the leaders, right? We got healthcare clinicians that are burned out and frustrated, and, you know, and the leaders are there wanting to help, but they're frustrated and burned out, too. It's like, you're being watched. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you don't have a balanced life, if you're not resilient, how can you help your staff develop those skills and traits and capacities, right? How can you help them be their best when you're not being your best? Absolutely. And and to add to that, and you're you're right on, um, and I I had a conversation with a, a major leader this morning and um, and, and I, I shared this with him it is not sufficient to have good intentions it we we cannot use as a reason for not getting things done that we're tired or we are burnt out or we have too much on our plate we have to put our egos aside and seek help we, we have, if, if, if we don't know about a certain discipline that's relevant, if we don't have the, the mind space to think about this new, newly emerged matter of great significance, this new priority, this new urgent matter, then we've got to put our egos aside and and pick up the phone or send a text or send an email to someone we know and trust who has expertise to come alongside us and accelerate getting to a point where we can truly get done what needs to be done. And so I I implore leaders to, to find their partners, you know, people like you who have expertise who are in it all the time, who could provide a question or a tool or an answer in three minutes rather than three weeks that it would take them to muster the energy and do the research to find it. This is an age that requires radical collaboration. So I, I, I'm totally in support that, no, we, when, when we are burnt out and many are we have to seek help 
Well, and the thing is, I think what I love about that is it's up to you. Mm -hmm. Your organization is not going to fix it for you. Right. And even if an organization makes changes, which they need to, oftentimes a big part of this challenge is the culture of the organization. So it's not to say there isn't a responsibility there, but ultimately you're the one that has to do the work. Right. Right. You have to own it and you have to take full responsibility and be accountable for your life outcomes. And, right. you know, um, you can't expect somebody to fix it for you because that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and on that note too, Tracy, um, I don't know what your experience has been, but I found it, it, it helps to reframe much of what we need to do to, so that it doesn't take on that element of being work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that adds another layer of stress and anxiety and avoidance and procrastination and but but to find a way to create a a metaphor that allows it to be perceived as and embraced as um, something that is joyful and positive, and um, to, to make to make of it a game, really um, keeping score along the way and celebrating, and so that there's an eager anticipation to engage in it because we know it's productive. It will affect change that is worthy of celebration. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I've, I've found it, um, that, that subtle shift um, allows for people to uh, be, be more willing to uh, consider and, and even engage in, in the changes that are required. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. That's great. So share a little bit with us about um, kind of your personal reflections, just in addition to what you just shared, kind of on the role of leadership right now, right? Um, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, um, I, I think as I, as I think about the next steps, you, you've, talked about being authentic and I've, I've talked about um, being a host for good, um, not be held hostage by our egos. I think those ideas succinctly describe the state of mind that um, ought to be the first pursuit if we're to be effective leaders. We, we have to, we should get to a place where we recognize that the work to be done is great. We can't do it alone. We, we need a lot of help. We need a lot of help in reframing it so it could be more of a joyful adventure. And, and so that all of us who participate in making progress um, could could look forward and have the right attitudes and the desired behaviors that are required to produce the, the desired change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm encouraged that there there are individuals like you, know, you Michelle, and you, Tracy, and and myself, and and many organizations like. Missing Logic and Achievement Resources and Prison Wealth Management and, and, and many others um, that have invested themselves fully into aligning their talents with their purpose and their mission um, to act with unswerving dedication um, to encourage, to guide, to mentor, and, and to provide the resources to help leaders. Um, to help leaders thrive and and truly achieve extraordinary levels of success and fulfillment. So 
um, I, you know, when I when I reflect on the, the commitment, so many of you, um, my colleagues, have made, and the work you do to you know, ease the the load and uh, increase the enjoyment and fulfillment and the the outcomes for your your friends and your colleagues who are doing great work, you know, I can't help but feel very overjoyed. Um, I would just hope that um, you know, people who are charged with and, and want to do transformational work, changing and improving organizations and communities, and definitely in healthcare with all its challenges and opportunities. Uh, I just I just hope they would open up and and receive your offer um, to help them because your expertise um, does and, and will when when they open it. Well, thank you, Renick. It's my yeah. pleasure. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Wow, what a phenomenal um, interview. And, uh, you know, we're, we always anticipate these interviews and we always walk away so blessed. Um, so just so grateful for your words of wisdom today. And I think a couple of key takeaways for me is just the power of reframing, right? It just, all of us need to remember that. Tracy and I practice that all, you know, we're always practicing that. Reframe, reframe. <laughs> <laughs> And make a game out of it, right? <laughs> um, but also, I was really reflective in listening to your conversation about leadership and that in the COVID, you know, era, all of these, this time is one of the key words you hear more than anything is pivot. You know, you have to pivot, right? And um, we certainly have done our share of pivoting at Missing Logic. Like, how do we need to show up now? But I was thinking what a great opportunity for leaders to pivot their leadership style right now based on so many of the points that you made, because it's a unique time for all of us to step up as leaders in a different way. So I thought that was just so wonderful and so awesome. Yeah, thank you. And I think, you know, what strikes me is uh, just how you live your, your core belief around the power of possible. Mm. And uh, how you've really, I think, today helped us see what's possible for us, for others, for the country, for the world, really, and for leaders. And, um, you know, to, to have that mindset, I just, I think that is just like the kingpin for so many things in our world and in our lives as leaders. Um, and I uh, just thank you for all the wonderful messages you shared with our today so powerful well thank you for the opportunity and i too have enjoyed every instant of every conversation we've had it's always been very uplifting and, and inspiring so so thank you tracy thank you michelle wonderful thank you and we can't wait to have more and we'll have you back yes for <laughs> sure so Renick, before we sign off um, how do people find you if, you know, when they listen to this podcast, they're like, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> <laughs> how do they find you? Uh, simply, uh, renickbrutus.com, R-E-N-W-I-C-K-B-R-U-T-U-S.com, and or on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are good starting points, good portals uh, for beginning the conversation. Certainly, finding out about me and, and reaching out uh, for any any deliberation discussion we might have. That's wonderful. We'll put those links in our show notes as well. Yes, we will. Absolutely. So yeah. once again, thank you, and have a wonderful day. Thank yeah. you. Goodbye. Thanks Bye. for the opportunity. You're Bye -bye. welcome, Renick. Thank you. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. You can find show notes and links at our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash podcast. 
If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions at the end of the show notes. We'd also love to hear and answer your questions. So if you have some questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com. And we may include your question in a future episode.